0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA,
0: produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning into AOA today. It's hard to believe it's already Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. This is a big week of data coming from Uncle Sam this morning. Inflation numbers were released from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. We're going to get to those in just a little bit and what it might mean for the ag lending community with Kurt Covington of uh, Ag America Lending. And then in segment two, we're going to talk to Will Lukes. The dairy industry globally is seeing some changes largely brought about by COVID-19, inflation, input costs, all of these things. Will's going to join the show and talk about just what that might mean for U.S. dairy exports as we look out to the future. And then in segment three, We're going to hear from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist there at StoneX. We're going to dig in to the potential data dump coming tomorrow from the USDA. It is on Thursday, their World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Day. That number will be coming out tomorrow. Arlen will share his thoughts on what he expects to see in that report tomorrow. But before we jump into all of that, let's talk about these inflation numbers. Kurt Covington, the senior director of institutional lending with Ag America Lending, joins us now. Kurt, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today.
1: Uh, Mike, good morning. You picked me on a good day I'm with a um, hundred ag bankers up in the Palouse, uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, for their ag bankers conference. So, had an interesting discussion on inflation and interest rates yesterday.
0: Well, this works out really well, Kurt, because that's exactly what I was hoping to pick your brain on today. BLS announced that inflation month over month from March into April is up six tenths of a percent. That exceeds a lot of the analysts' expectations. What's the take up there amongst those farm lenders? How do they believe this rising inflation is going to impact them and uh, the operations they work with?
1: Uh, That's a great question, Mike. So here's kind of, I think, the long and short of it is. You talk to these, I like bank lenders, and many of them say, you know, top-line revenue this year is going to be probably some of the best they've seen in a long time, whether it be wheat, whether it's corn, cattle. Um, These top-line revenue numbers are going to be pretty good. I think when you talk to those bankers, the downside of all this is, some of them told me yesterday, they said they're not sure the margins are going to be much better than last year. Not that last year was bad, but the expectation was early on is that uh, this could have been a banner year for you know, crop margins and profitability, but a lot of that is uh, kind of dampened a little bit with these inflation numbers. And of course, diesel kind of leads the, uh, the top of the list with fertilizer as well.
0: Yeah, those rising input costs are are slamming producers' margins really across the country. Kurt, while we're thinking about getting the, the, the financing out there to the growers, obviously, interest rates for borrowers certainly matter. We haven't had to put a lot of thought or concern into rates because they've been effectively so low. Looking out to the future, Bill Dudley, the past head of the New York Fed, said earlier this week that rates are going to have to go a lot higher. He said the Fed's fund rate is going to have be four percent or better, Kurt. What does that do to that already tightening margin here across farm country?
1: Yeah, well, it just makes it that much tighter. I think, um, you know, when when we as bankers look at uh, you know money, really is just another input cost on that on that farming operation. You raise interest rates from you know upwards of two two full percentage points over the next year, and that has a direct impact on their margins. Not to mention the fact that your long-term borrowing rates uh, go up for real estate refinance. And so none of it's good at this point. None of it's good. And we've seen a bit of a slowing in the activity around uh, refinancing and new property purchases.
0: (sighs) Yeah, and Kurt, when you think about this, beyond just agriculture, I saw a report here just a few days ago that adjustable rate mortgages in the residential sector have climbed back up above 10%. We haven't seen those numbers since 2008. As producers on the ag side are thinking about how they can manage this interest rate risk going forward, do adjustable rate uh, notes seem like a viable option in this environment? Or is the concern that rates are going to rise more quickly later on? And you should look at locking in rates long term
1: That's, uh, again, one of those million-dollar questions. When you talk to many of these uh, these farmers, and we talk to many of them every week, and it's the, the kind of the bifurcated question, should I go short-term where I can get a, a decent interest rate on my loan, although perhaps it's adjustable, and adjustable in the next year or two years or three years, or do I lock in a long-term rate, uh, which is seen, as I mentioned earlier, as high as a two-percentage point increase since, uh, you know, even since February. Here's, here's the thing, Mike, and I think it's really important to understand. The average farmer refinances his real estate every seven years, on average. So if I were giving advice to a farmer, I think uh, the first thing I would say to him: don't think about locking in a 30-year fixed rate. You're going to be paying the premium for a loan that you're going to end up refinancing three times over that, you know, that 30-year period of time. Staying short, I think, uh, maybe on a three- or five- or seven-year adjustable probably makes more sense because even though the rates may go up, um, ultimately, what you would be paying on a 30-year fixed, you can margin against on your shorter-term rates, right? So it's kind of a push, but I, I would just say it's probably still probably better to be on the short end of the curve.
0: All right. It's certainly not worth ignoring that conversation about looking at an adjustable rate note, even in this environment, it sounds like. Kurt, is that an adequate way to say that? Yes. (laughs) Apologies for that. Kurt, I also wanted to ask you, ag real estate values have been in the stratosphere for the past two years. In an era of rising rates, do you expect that to cool off or are most of these purchases still cash deals and the rate is irrelevant to these buyers?
1: I'm hearing both. Um, I was talking to a farmer up in uh, South Dakota who said he's seeing land prices starting to soften a bit up here in the Pacific Northwest. um, uh, Most of these bankers are saying that their customers are uh, flush with cash. Most of that was from the USDA CVAP program and or PPP. Many of them have probably more cash than they've had in their checking account in a long time. Land prices still seem to be uh, high out here other parts of the country depending on who you talk to have seen um land prices still remain fairly high although the demand and the activity has started to slow
0: kurt before we let you go in this era of rising interest rates stagnant or persistent i should say inflation what do you think farmers need to keep in mind if we haven't dealt with this constellation of factors in a while as we head into this summer
1: yeah, I think there's two things. One, uh, stay and be aware of your costs. Stay on top of your costs. Be aware of them. Communicate with your banker. Let them know how things are going. Uh, I would say, you know, in, in in an era like this, also be mindful of uh, the the really probably the three top costs in your business: labor, fuel costs, and interest costs. And in those situations where um, you have access to Perhaps some vendor financing that might give you some relief. Uh, That's the things they ought to be thinking about before the summer begins.
0: Use that financing when it's available. Folks, we've been talking to Kurt Covington of Ag America Lending. That's at agamerica.com. Kurt, thanks for joining us today.
1: Mike, you're welcome.
0: And stick with us. Will Lukes, VP of Global Economic Affairs with U.S. Dairy Export Council will join us when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
2: Experts agree. Using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide or post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit belchiumusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Senex Maxtron diesel engine oils. Oil that runs smart.
1: Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safexcavator.com
3: for more info.
0: agriculture of america is brought to you by Senex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around
6: keeping america's
0: farmers and ranchers informed on aoa now back to mike pearson Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we're, we're going to be talking about inflation, I think, for quite some time here as we look ahead to this summer and on into the fall. And it's clear that inflation, as we just heard from Kurt Covington there, it's changing, it's squeezing the margin of agricultural producers in this country, but also around the world. Couple that with supply chain issues and policy changes, we're seeing the dairy industry reshape itself, both domestically and globally. The that end. We're going to talk today about how that industry is shaping up with Will Lukes. He's the Vice President of Global Economic Affairs with the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Will, thank you so much for joining the show today.
6: Thanks, Mike, for having me on.
0: Let's talk first big picture. As you look out at the world ahead, Will, do you expect to see U.S. dairy exports continue growing here in 2022?
6: Yeah, so I think we'll want to differentiate between, you know, some of the short-term things we're running into and also some of the long-term opportunities that we've got. Uh, You know, U.S. Dairy Exports had a fantastic year in 2021. We had records by nearly every metric and grew by double digits pretty much, uh, or double digit growth pretty much across the board. Uh, 2022, we've gotten off to a little bit of a slower start in volume terms, but value of our exports has really been exploding, uh, up 22% through the first quarter, uh, really thanks to greater cheese exports, which are a higher value product, uh, as well as higher commodity prices. So that's really kind of given us a boost. Uh, but I do think 2022 in the short term is likely to be a bit choppier, uh, largely because, as you mentioned in your intro, uh, inflation and high input costs has really limited you know, some of our production here in the short term. Uh, So we haven't necessarily had as much product available to export. So, you know, non-fat dry milk or skim milk powder is our biggest uh, dairy export product, Uh, and we export 80% of you know what we produce here in the U.S. for for non-fat. But our production has been down 9% over the past nine months, really due to those high uh, input costs uh, caused by inflation. And so, you know, we've moved a lot more cheese, increasing the value. Uh, But our volume's gotten off a little bit, you know, bumpy here to start the year. But I really think in the back half of the year, we're starting to see some more milk uh, come online here in the US. And so I'm getting pretty optimistic about the back half of the year, but it's really long term over the next 10 years that has me really optimistic that we're going to see a lot of growth out out of the United States for dairy exports.
0: Well, and that's, I think, what I'm curious about the most, Will, as you look out at that long-term perspective for U.S. dairy. Obviously, domestic producers are seeing their margins squeezed. They're, they're seeing their productions disrupted by the, the inflation and the supply chain issues. Are you seeing similar things play out around the world? And in, in which countries are seeing herd size shrinking or milk production declining?
6: Yeah, so we certainly are seeing that around the world. I think the key thing is these input costs, the uh, things caused by feed, high energy prices, um, even steel and aluminum if you want to expand your farm. Uh, all these things are really you know, impacting suppliers around the world. But when we talk about global dairy exports, we're really talking about three suppliers. We're talking about the European Union, uh, New Zealand, uh, and the United States. Uh, the three of us uh, really make up 75% or three quarters of global dairy exports. And we're not getting a whole lot of milk right now in the short term out of any of them. Uh, The U.S., as I mentioned, has been tight due to input costs. uh, But it's Europe and New Zealand that not only are tight in the short term, but in the long term, I think we're really going to see some declines in production, particularly out of New Zealand, uh, just given a number of different factors there. But Uh, The U.S. is the one that's structurally well-placed to really grow its milk production over the next 10 years, whereas I think we're kind of tapping out here as to milk coming out of Europe and New Zealand, which opens up a big opportunity here for the United States
0: it does and and i wanted to zero in on that new zealand issue for a second if you would will what policies additional besides inflation besides the supply chain are are happening in new zealand to, to drive their dairy herd to be to be shrinking or perhaps less competitive is a better way to put it on the global scene long term yeah so
6: their dairy herd is really shrinking for a number of factors but kind of the big one is is new zealand is almost an exclusively pasture-based system and so if you're gonna grow milk production or grow your herds in New Zealand you really need to add uh, more land Uh, you've got to have additional pasture in order to you know feed those cows if you're not gonna uh, use any sort of feed uh, for those cows and if they're based off grass Um, but the New Zealand government has put in a couple different regulations as it relates to water uh, that have really limited the ability to really increase your farm size uh, due to nitrates going into the soil. And so as a result of that, what you're seeing here is really just there's not a whole lot of investment in dairy happening in New Zealand. And instead, you know, New Zealand's dairy is coming under kind of competition for land now. So it's not a big island uh, for one, uh, or two islands, I should say. Uh, and so as a result of that, uh, you're seeing increased competition from sheep, from horticulture, um, really from planting trees to get carbon credits. Uh, That's really going to limit and really push uh, some New Zealand farmers away from dairy uh, and into these other uh, investment opportunities for them.
0: That makes sense. Just competition driving up costs. I want to turn the focus over to Europe. Of course, that's been in the news a lot lately with the Russian invasion of Ukraine upending supply chains in that continent. Will, is that one of the factors that has dairy declining in Europe or are there other things at play?
6: Yeah, so Europe's a little bit interesting. So there's obviously a lot of different countries that we're talking about with Europe, and some things happen at the big European Union level, and some of them are happening at the individual member state level, whether it's uh, the Netherlands or Ireland and Germany. But really, all of them are being affected by what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, Uh, They are big exporters of uh, Ukraine, for instance, is a big exporter of fertilizer. So is Russia, and that's driven up fertilizer costs and even here in the U.S. Uh, But they also are heavily reliant on those two countries for natural gas. And so Europe has been dealing with really high input costs as of late, which has led to declining milk production overall. Uh, You're seeing the two biggest producers, milk producers in Europe, Germany and France, uh, really not be able to get any more milk over the past couple of years out of their farms, uh, as you've seen instead a lot more investment happening in Ireland and Poland and to a lesser extent in Italy. Uh, And so you kind of have some countries on the way up and some on the way down, but longer term, it's not just about these high input costs. It's about a number of environmental regulations that are really uh, focused heavily on reducing cow numbers uh, as a way of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And, you know, the United States obviously has our net zero initiative that is heavily focused on reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. But we focus very much on increasing our productivity over that and finding ways of making sure that we can feed a growing global demand and, and consumers who want dairy products, whereas I think a couple of European countries have been more focused on well, let's just reduce the cows and by having no cows, we'll have no emissions. And I think that's uh, uh, challenging them in terms of actually meeting this demand that we're seeing uh, around the world. (laughs)
4: Yeah, it's
0: tough to meet dairy demand without cows. That is a fact. As we see New Zealand and Europe back off in dairy production, Will, and the U.S. continue to remain efficient and grow in productivity, where do you expect to see the first growth or, or the first new growth, I guess I should say, um, in the export space?
6: Uh, Well, we're already having plenty of growth uh, as far as dairy goes. You know, over the past 10 years, on average, U.S. dairy exports have grown by 5% per year. I expect that to very much continue over the next 10 years, if not accelerate. Uh, And I think that's going to come from a lot of different markets starting to look more and more to the U.S. as their supplier of choice if their consumers are going to keep consuming dairy. And so, We've seen a lot of growth over the past couple of years from China, although they certainly have had their own issues here as of late with the lockdowns in Shanghai and elsewhere. Um, But longer term, you know, I think that's still going to be a growing market. But really, it's our partners in Mexico, still our number one largest market. It's Southeast Asia, where we have great relationships with customers there uh, and have really built a growing U.S. presence in the region uh it's japan and korea which are big cheese and high value way uh consumers and importers in the world uh and it's even the middle east which you know up till very recently has been europe's backyard uh, they obviously have a very you know short uh shipping distance to get from europe to the middle east uh but right now they're so short on product, it opens the door for the us to really be there uh, as committed long-term suppliers to grow with their demand so this is really a global opportunity for the U.S., but there are specific markets that, of course, the U.S. Dairy Export Council uh, and the Checkoff Program are really targeting for our promotion efforts.
0: And U.S.E.C. of course, keeps track of this stuff. Will, where can listeners go to keep up on this information from the U.S. Dairy Export Council?
6: Yeah, if you go to our website at www.usdec.org, you'll find all of our information. We always put out a running report of what happens in the latest trade data. Uh, you'll see that from us as well as uh, what's going on around the world on a global basis. You can find that, too, uh, and just more information on, on what we do and how we support uh, farmers and the whole U.S. dairy industry uh, overseas.
0: Thank you. We'll check that out, folks. We'll be back with more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
1: Farming has gotten so complex, you need another you just to keep up with it all. You'll come close when you work with your FS crop specialist, They know your growing conditions and your land, working for you season to season, helping fine-tune decisions to ensure a healthy ROI. And they're constantly in training to learn about the latest in seed selection, crop protection, and nutrient management. Plus, they're achieving certification standards that exceed the industry. Contact your local FS crop specialist to learn more. FS, bringing you what's next. Every Tuesday, we're sitting
0: around the table, sponsored by CHS where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for
2: Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com for learning. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, the grain markets are rallying higher here after the open up double digits across the board in corn, beans and in wheat features as well here this morning as USDA prepares to release its supply and demand fundamentals of the grain and oil seeds as well as the meat sector tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time. Not much uh, expectation that USDA will adjust either acreage or yield to reflect the impact of this spring's planting delays. That might come in June, depending on what happens between now and then, as it did in 2019. Active field work continues this week in central and eastern portions of the Midwest, with very limited progress being seen in the northwestern, 20% or so of the belt. Rains increase in coverage as we move into next week, while this week's record heat subsides as well. We are expecting some severe weather, spotty showers through parts of northwest Iowa, southwest minnesota here today and that's something we have to watch closely whereas also a lot of folks suggesting prevented plant acres of maybe anywhere from 500,000 to 1.5 million acres of corn in montana north dakota and northern minnesota that might not get planted this year we can't afford to lose those acres as global balance sheets are already tight Let's take a look at numbers. July quarter up 11 to 3 quarters, 787. December quarter up 10 to 3 quarters, 729 to 3 quarters. July beans up 16 to 3 quarters, 1609. November up 16, 1470 to 3 quarters. July bean meal up 270 a ton, 404.20. July bean oil up 122 points, 8226. Chicago wheat, July up 18 and a quarter, 11.11. 11. July Kansas City wheat up 12.5, 11.87.5. Spring wheat, July up 14.5, 12.28. Livestock trade is mixed with live cattle for June up 107, 133.47. May feeder cattle down 82, 158.10. May lean hogs down 52, 155. Crude oil up 501 a barrel, 104.77. The Dow up 257 points. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
4: we can make a difference bite by bite.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
6: Keeping farmers
0: and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. The markets are moving today. We've got big gains across the grain markets. We've got some gains in the live cattle sector, weakness in feeder cattle and in hogs, and then big gains again in the energy space, particularly crude oil. It's one thing to see all of these markets moving, particularly in a big way. It's another thing to figure out the why. Well, joining us here for this segment is Arlen Suderman, the chief commodities economist with Stonex. He's pretty good at helping us tease out the why Arlen thanks for joining us today
5: it's great to be back with you Mike it certainly is an active day with a lot of green on the screen
0: it is indeed and Arlen as we look at what's going on in the markets this week we've got today the CPI report the inflation number tomorrow world agricultural supply and demand estimates from USDA these markets here in the grains today is this mainly an inflation play or a squaring up before the report play or something totally separate (laughs)
5: probably all the above but uh, inflation play is certainly a big part of it and I'm glad you brought that up I was watching the, um, the ag commodities when the inflation data came out this morning, and, and it's a similar pattern to what I've seen in the past. Now, this morning's inflation data showing the headline numbers up three-tenths of a percent month-on-month, month, uh, 8.3% year-on-year. Year. Then when you look at core inflation, which is minus the food and energy, up six-tenths of a percent month-on-month, month, so pretty hot up six point two percent year-on-year now the year-on-year numbers are not quite as hot as they were last month because last month we were dealing with um, a lot lower numbers a year ago so when you compare previous year but now as we get into when that inflation started a year ago the year-on-year numbers are going to moderate so what we really have to keep watching is the month-on-month and they continue to come in hotter than expected Now, the initial reaction was a mass sell-off. We saw the VIX, which is Wall Street's fear index, jump from around 32 to around 34 real quick. That's a pretty quick jump, and it's also anything above 30 means that there's a lot of fear on Wall Street, and they tend to move money to the sideline unless an individual asset has a strong story. And that was the initial reaction in the stock market, initial reaction in the grain and oil seeds as well. But then after a couple minutes, the money came pushing right back into food-based commodities and to some extent the energies as well, as they saw those commodities having a story that would be a good hedge against inflation. So the bottom line is what I've seen in the follow-through buying and action is the trade sees inflation is hot. The Fed is not doing enough to handle it, to tame it. And that means that portfolio managers need to have the hard assets in their portfolios in order to protect against the eroding effect of inflation of their investor uh, portfolios. And so they are looking for which hard assets have the best fundamental story. And right now, the food-based commodities – And in some cases, depending on which one, the energy-based commodities as well are serving that purpose. So a lot of money coming back in. Supply and demand still matters. But the market will manage supply and demand at a higher level during times of anticipated inflation. We can see a strong correlation in that throughout history. And so, therefore, everything gets managed at a higher level as a result. And, of course, even the supply and demand fundamentals are pretty bullish themselves.
0: They are, and as you think about that compelling story, and the ags definitely have one, we're going to get some more pieces to that story tomorrow from the USDA and their supply and demand estimates report. Arlen, as you look at the corn market before tomorrow, are you expecting to see any big changes here in the new crop, or I guess I shouldn't say changes, what are your expectations for the new crop announcement in the WASD tomorrow?
5: Well, It really comes down to having watched the USDA for the last four decades plus or so in in my work. And USDA tends to take somewhat of a conservative approach and not really jump out there. Occasionally they have made bigger steps and they've kind of got burned for it. So they tend to be somewhat conservative. And so I think they'll stick with their March 31 acreage based on the historically tracker their historical track records, and that means corn acreage is down, soybean acreage is up. Um, they'll stick with the yields that they used in the outlook form, which is 51.5 for soybeans and 181 for corn. I think that's a little high for corn, but I think that's what they'll go with. So they'll show some pretty big production numbers overall. And then it'll come down to demand. What will they show for Chinese demand for corn and soybeans in the year ahead? And I think they may be on the conservative side there. Um, I'm looking at uh, overall uh... more of a rebound in demand for both corn and soybeans for china i think they'll get garner more of that from south america than they will the united states on the soybean side on the corn side i think they'll get more of it from us particularly with ukraine being out of the picture uh... the other question is what will they do with ukraine and i anticipate that they will give ukraine the benefit of the doubt su- suggesting that they're going to grow good crops and that they're going to have good exports in the 22-23 marketing year Uh, And then throughout, as we go through the year, that'll continually be pared back as reality starts to play out. So I don't, really see a lot in this report tomorrow to feed the bulls other than the possibility that we could see another reduction in South American soybean production and maybe corn production and see maybe a a rebound in Chinese soybean demand reflecting what they're actually doing that could further increase U.S. exports of corn and soybeans especially soybeans drawn soybean ending stocks closer to where I've been at since early February and that's below 200 million bushels for old crop soybean stocks.
0: Arlen, you mentioned the potential changes that could come to South American production. Uh, On the corn side, I know Stonex has been tracking corn production down in Brazil. What is your current estimate for the size of that second crop, Safrina corn?
5: Yeah, we're looking at total corn production in, in South America at 116 million metric tons. I'd have to look at the breakdown on the safrina versus the first and the third crops. Um, but total production at 116 million metric tons, that's basically where USDA is at. I anticipate that they'll pull back a little bit more. I anticipate as we get into June, we'll see more of a pullback. I think, in, you know, like our customer survey right now, uh, the losses we're seeing in production There are going to be from kernel size, and that's really hard to tell until you actually start harvest. So I think the more significant reductions come as we get into June and July for that safrina crop because of the drought they've had over the past five to six weeks.
0: And Arlen, that drought intersects with Russia and Ukraine, intersects with this global inflation area. All of them touch at the wheat market. Wheat's up big today. What are you thinking here in this wheat market? This move, is this mainly inflation and drought?
5: It's a combination of, of all the headlines on food inflation, which we saw again in this morning's inflation data, uh, basically 1% increase month on month and at-home food purchases and wheat has kind of been one of the poster childs of, of the food inflation story with Ukraine out of the mix largely. Um, so that's a factor. The technicals here is both Kansas City and Minneapolis have taken out some key highs on the charts this morning. We had some large stop orders that got hit, it looks like, in the markets. Uh, and, and also a, a concerns about the spring wheat crop not getting planted as we look at the northern plains and the persistent wet weather, especially in north dakota and parts of minnesota where very little planting has taken place yet and it continues to be wet and we're running out of time uh, and so that's a real concern and we're going to shrink uh, spring wheat acreage we're going to shrink corn acreage more with prevent plant uh, and uh, it's out of time and we can't afford to lose those acres
0: No, that's the truth. And with spring wheat here pushing 1240 in the summer and fall contracts, Arlen, what what do you estimate the total acreage might shake out to be here in spring wheat? I know we've got weather, we've got prevent plant all sorts of uncertainty. But at these price levels, is this enough to pull as many acres into production either in this country or in Canada?
5: that's the big question mark right now and and right now I think if you just look at corn alone we have the possibility of losing up to 2 million acres of corn in the northern plains and northwestern Midwest and it could be higher than that I'm being so I think somewhat conservative on that number hoping that the forecasts are going to open up here over the cup next couple of weeks but you take that amount of acres away from corn wheat could certainly lose 1 to 2 million acres as a possibility um, so Again, there's a, this is a year and we can't afford to lose any acreage of either one. And then we, of course, have some problems north of the border, as you indicated, as well in Canada, dry in the western part of the Canadian prairies and wet in the eastern part.
0: Arlen, before we let you go, in the soybean market, we're seeing November gain on these front months contracts. Are you seeing demand focus over towards the new crop now as well on the export side?
5: Well, when you, uh, you have to first look at the discount that the new crop is. And if we're going to have possibility of tight supplies, buyers are looking at the discount, particularly China looking at the discount and say, that means that those new crop contracts had that much more upside price risks. So therefore, we need to be more aggressive in buying new crop in addition to buying the old crop that we need. And I think that's one reason that we're seeing those greater gains in the new crop today. I anticipate we'll find out before the end of the day in the cash market that China is searching around for supplies.
0: And soybean oil running hot again today. Arlen, is that market, do you expect it to be tight for the foreseeable future?
5: I I really do. And uh, especially with more and more um, renewable fuel plants opening up over the coming year, I think that demand is just going to continue to escalate.
0: Lots to keep an eye on in these markets. Our thanks to Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex. Arlen, thanks for bringing your insights to the show today.
5: Thank you, Mike. And
0: folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Tractor sales are out and President Biden is visiting a farm in Illinois. We'll talk about all that. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving... Remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
2: Experts agree. Using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit belchumusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions soil the final frontier these are the voyages of the soil ship enterprise to explore soil life to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before Farmer's log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these
0: organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. As you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to
2: cling on to. I'm um, sorry, <laughs> that's soil fleet <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station.
1: If you're not filling with Cenex Premium Diesel, then you're not giving your fuel system the premium treatment. Cenex Roadmaster XL comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, while restoring your power by up to 4.5% and your fuel economy by up to 5%. Typical number two diesel? I guess it covers the basics. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
0: Don't you wish your life came with a warning app?
7: Stop. That dog does not want to
0: be petted. (laughs) A heads up before something bad happens.
7: You should not send that text.
0: Uh Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse prediabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in to today's AOA, ladies and gentlemen. There's so much news coming out today that I wanted to wrap up with a couple of headlines that I think help drive home sort of the details of the, the issues we're grappling with across rural America. We've talked about the CPI data, that inflation data that was released this morning quite a bit. I've got a feeling, folks, we're going to be talking about inflation for quite some time. But I wanted to emphasize a fact that was brought up by Moody's Analytics after this BLS report, which is that typically when we're talking about these numbers, we're talking largely about what's happening in urban America. Most of the the inflationary gauges are judged by what's happening in some of the major metropolitan areas around the country. What Moody's is finding is they look at about 400 different metros, small, medium, and large size communities where they're seeing the impact of inflation hit the hardest is in rural America. Yeah, I don't think this is a shock to a lot of our listeners right now. AAA reports today, yet again another highest recorded average price in history for both regular unleaded gasoline. Today AAA has us at about four forty a gallon, and diesel continuing to scream higher at five dollars fifty-five cents. This these details come together, and they make the most expensive town to live in, or I guess I should say the town with the highest rate of inflation is Midland, Texas. Again, it's a rural community about four hours from another major metro. So in order to get anything to that town, it's got to be trucked in or trained in, railed in, of course, is an option. And all of those things are facing higher prices with that diesel crunch. I'm sure a lot of the listeners right now are nodding their heads. You've maybe recently had to run your credit card for some diesel at the pump and it stings right now. So it's a reminder that when we're talking about inflation, when we're talking about these numbers from Uncle Sam, anticipate folks that those of us in the rural part of the country are going to see those numbers hit even harder and because inflation is such a hot topic the president president biden is currently on his way to illinois he's expected to land in chicago this morning at some point and then his first stop is going to be with agricultural secretary tom vilsack they're going to head to kankakee illinois and they are going to be discussing Inflation, but of course, from President Biden, his the core of his comments allegedly are going to be about the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what that has done to food supply globally and abroad. And then he's going to discuss ways to lower costs. It's expected he might float some ways to bring back some of the proposals he has or his team have announced here in recent weeks about providing some additional support to farmers. Most of those proposals weren't excuse me weren't picked up as they were. drafting this bill to provide additional aid to Ukraine. It's expected that Biden's going to continue to push for them. And hopefully tomorrow, if there is anything new to come from, uh, from this meeting here in Kankakee, we will bring that to you on the show as well. The other piece of news that came out today or yesterday is from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Tractor sales are slowing down. Total tractor sales fell 22.5% for the month of April compared to April, 2021. Combine sales down 5.6%. The 100 horsepower plus segment. So this is the two wheel drive segment. was the only growth segment in the US market for the second month in a row. Not big growth, up 3.2%. And it was interesting, mid-range tractors, those between 40 and 100 horsepower, what you'd call your chore tractor in my mind. Sales of those fell Nineteen and a half percent, and the sub forty horsepower segment. This is that segment that has very been very popular with uh, suburban homeowners, uh, rural lifestyle enthusiasts. Folks who have had ample cash as we've come through the pandemic, and they have been aggressively purchasing those tractors. Well, that's slowing down. In fact, that was the hardest hit segment. Those sales were off 25%. Now, AEM does say that a lot of this is largely due to supply chain difficulties. Remember all of those chip shortages we were talking about in the car industry here in 2021? Well, those new tractors require a lot of chips as well. And the fact that uh, they're just not getting to where they need to, to be is reducing the amount of tractors that are truly available for sales. Now, it was interesting. We're seeing similar things play out in Canada. Unit sales in all segments fell again. They were down 19% total in Canada. And four-wheel drive units, again, the weakest segment down nearly 50% year over year in Canada. But again, it's tough to read a lot about economic health of rural America into this report because of the fact that so many of those issues are coming from the supply chain. So it's it, it's not a question of, well, farmers have quit buying. It's a question of how many farmers would have bought this past month if they had access to the machinery that they were looking for. In the meantime, as those supply chains stay tight on new equipment, the used equipment market is expected to stay very, very strong. It's supposed to stay very, very hot. Before we go for the day, one other quick story. Of course, we've just come through tax time. The federal government is reporting tax receipts, and it seems as though The stock trading frenzy that happened in 2021 has led to a record tax haul on the part of Uncle Sam. The revenue surge was huge. However, Goldman Sachs says it's likely to be a one off event because it was mainly due to 40. It was a 43% increase in tax collections from October through April over the same period in 2019. So going back to pre COVID, it's up almost 50% in tax collections. However, a lot of that was due to capital, uh, capital gains taxes rather paid by meme stock traders who made a pile of money in the equity markets this past year and then, well, had to find out just what capital gains are. and had to write that check to Uncle Sam. It'll be interesting to see how this new focus on capital gains by a lot of retail investors who maybe have never confronted this particular tax before. Maybe it's going to reshape how they view tax policy long term. That remains to be seen, folks. Tomorrow on AOA, we are going to talk transportation. Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition will be joining us. We're getting going to get an update on how those supply chains and the challenges being faced globally are impacting soybean transportation around the world. So join us on Thursday for AOA, folks. Until then, have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
3: Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to the doctor now and share it. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it,
7: slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner.
3: I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that
2: I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down.
3: Get it, slip it, it check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration.